Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Good morning. I'm Pastor Chris. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life, and we've been here 14 and a half years. We are sharing the new life of Jesus Christ with the world one person at a time ever since we started. And I want to tell you all, last night we baptized four people. The youngest was eight. The oldest was 60. And that brings a total of 91 people been baptized this year at New Life. So the new life of Jesus is coming to this community, region, nation, and really to the ends of the earth through New Life. And uh, one of the joys that I have is working with such an amazing staff. And over the years, uh, actually starting eight years ago, I had the opportunity from time to time to introduce a new preacher to uh, the platform. And it was Pastor Brad, our worship pastor, eight years ago. And then five years ago was Pastor Mark, who's actually at a retreat this weekend uh, with uh, middle schoolers this week, right? Yes, okay. And then last year it was Pastor Jane, our pastoral care pastor. And today I get to introduce another uh, staff person who's going to be preaching today, finishing out our series, The Time of Your Life. And it makes sense that he would be preaching this message because it's on finances. And he's our executive pastor. His name's Barry Liker. You may not even have met him yet. One of the things I've been saying uh, the other two worship gatherings is I I looked up, uh, how many of you have ever heard that only 10% of an iceberg is above the water? Anybody ever heard that? It's not really true because if it were fresh water, um, it would be 91.87% would be under the water. So that's like a little less than 10%. But icebergs aren't in fresh water. Icebergs are in salt water. And so in that case, it's really um, about uh, 10.27% is above the water. But anyway, the point is this. You don't see much of the iceberg. Most of the iceberg is under the water. And what you all get to see on the weekend is four and a half hours. If you came last night, today, today, uh, either service, it's four and a half total hours. And that's less than 1% of the total ministry just of the staff here at New Life. So it's not even the tip of the tip of the iceberg that you get to see here. So you may have not seen Barry because he hasn't preached yet. Um, I guess you've seen him do announcements this month on the video. But other than that, you might just know he's a tall guy with a beard. Um, Everybody on staff has a beard except for me, I think, and Jane probably. Um, (laughs) And Nancy, uh, of course. Uh, the, the, the women on staff don't have the beards, but I guess I'm the, uh, and Brian. Okay, anyway, most of the young guys have beards. I guess that's the thing these days. But anyway, Barry's the executive pastor. He has three primary responsibilities he's going to tell you about. But what I want to tell you is what he does frees up my time because I used to have to do the things that he does. And one of the things that he does is the whole budgeting, financial stuff. And that's like, I always say this, like poking my eye out with a fork. I hate doing it. He loves doing it. And he's really good at it. And, and because of his time on the staff, which is not even a year yet, we are much more effective in, in that area. So I'm not going to take up any more of his time, but I want you to give a warm greeting, new life greeting to our executive pastor, Barry Liker. Well, thanks. It's, uh, it's an honor and a privilege to be here with you this morning. Um, I always say that about a year ago, uh, Pastor Chris ruined my life. Uh, because about a year ago, Pastor Chris called and asked if I would consider joining the, the team here at New Life. And my wife and I had a wonderful plan of what we were going to do. And uh, that just wasn't God's plan. And so about a year ago, we came on staff here at New Life. And it's just been awesome. 
Uh, it's just been a wonderful, wonderful time for, for myself and for my family. And as Pastor Chris mentioned, I have three key responsibilities here at New Life. Uh, and I realize that many of you don't know me. Uh, I always jokingly say they throw me in a room in the back uh, and bring me out when they need the bills paid. And, and that's okay. My personality is fine. I'm okay with being that guy. Um, but my three primary responsibilities are as follows. I, I help oversee facilities. Uh, I work very closely with Brian. Uh, if you don't know who Brian is, he's the guy. He's just, use your imagination. Uh, Brian's just a wonderful guy, and uh, we work very closely together. Brian does an amazing job of making sure that this place is ready for worship, really, at any moment of any day. Uh, and Brian is just an amazing guy to work with. So if you don't have a chance, if you have a chance, I, I'd encourage you to talk to Brian. Uh, but I've also worked with Chris very closely as we start to plan out the Children's Nurture Center. It's our second building that we're hoping to build here shortly, and hopefully we can, we can bring that to you here sooner rather than later. It's a longer process than what I ever imagined a building could be, uh, but we're, we're working on that right now. The second part of my job that this is, quite frankly, my favorite part of the job is to work with the staff because uh, we have an amazing staff here. And it's my honor to kind of work with them, to help them understand what their ministry is about, to cast vision for that, and then to bring all the pieces in line to make sure that they're doing what they need to do in a timely manner, uh, which, again, these folks are just so driven and motivated. It's just a joy to do that um, and to see how God is blessing their efforts uh, here at New Life. And then the third aspect is, is finances. And so I always say if the budget balances, everybody's happy. I'm happy, most of all. But really, our, our goal uh, within the financial department is to make sure that every dollar that you give goes to ministry. We want to make sure that it's safe, that it's secure, that it's going where it's supposed to. And, and we take that very seriously. And so we just hope that uh, we continue to get better and better at that. But today, uh, I am able to, to preach uh, here before you, which is an honor and a privilege. Uh, it's my first time ever having an opportunity. Well, it's actually not my third because there were two other services, but you get the drift. Here at New Life that I've ever been able to preach. And Pastor Brad and Pastor Chris have done a wonderful job over the past six weeks talking about uh, this series is entitled The Time of Your Life and these six key areas of life management. And they're as follows. Uh, rest, prayer, physical care, relationships, study, and work. And today, obviously, finances. And what we believe is that God speaks very important, uh, says many important things throughout Scripture, but these seven areas are, are very poignantly uh, expounded upon in Scripture in that if you are able to spend time praying through and working through these areas of your life, you will truly have the time of your life as you move forward. Uh, and that's our hope for today and as we go forward this week. But... Uh, Chris talked to me a little bit and said, hey, would you mind doing the, the sermon on finances? And I said, no, that, that's fine. And I was actually trying to think of my first real experience uh, with what I would call high finance, you know, intense negotiations and, and, and trying to, you know, budget or break, broker a deal and all that sort of stuff. And so uh, my first recollection of high finance was when I was four years old. I know, right? Some of us were gifted. Just kidding. Uh, four years old. And I wanted, a I wanted a new toy, right? Anybody ever been there? You wanted the new toy? And so I did what every child did, went to my parents and said, want this new toy. And they said something to me that I thought was the dumbest thing I'd ever heard. 
Well, you have to save for that. Save for it? That didn't make any sense to me at all. Who saves for stuff? And I can actually remember saying to my dad, like, my three friends down the street already have the toy, and their parents bought it for him. And he said, well, I'm not those parents. And so at that point, my parents implemented what is known as an envelope system. Anybody here familiar with an envelope system? Yeah, you're crazy. All right. No, it's okay. It's a wonderful system. And what an envelope system is, for those of you who may not be aware, is you take envelopes, thus the name, and you write on them a category where you need to break your money into. So you get a dollar and, you know, 25 cents goes into here or whatever. And so I can't remember exactly how many envelopes my parents had, uh, but I do remember a couple. Uh, the first was tithe. My parents were, were very, very big on that. Uh, and then there was a savings envelope. There was a clothing envelope because they wanted me to start to understand that you have to buy these clothes. They just don't magically spring out of the ground. Uh, and the last one was savings. And I always joke and say that my dad probably should have put a fifth envelope, which was taxes, you know, and like 30% of my, never mind. So anyway, um, I can't remember how much we broke it into or what the percentages were for most of the envelopes, but I do remember that my parents insisted 10% went to tithe, which I didn't quite understand at that point. Um, but I also knew that the smallest percentage, I remember the smallest percentage went into spending, and I really hated that because there was a lot of stuff that I wanted to get. But what was the result of that upbringing? Uh, to be honest, I'm, I'm really pretty good at, at handling and managing money. My parents did a great job of that. But every strength has a backsided weakness, right? And so for me, when I read through Scripture, like the Scripture we're going to read through today, I oftentimes come across passages that kind of run contrary to what I like or what I think is the best for me. So if you have your Bible... Or if you have a Bible app, we're going to look at a passage from uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. And Timothy, uh, for those of you who may be unaware, was a young man in Scripture, a young leader. And the Apostle Paul wrote him two letters where he tried to give Timothy practical advice in, in a variety of areas. And so we are looking at today the words of the Apostle Paul as he writes to Timothy about uh, a very specific area of, of finances. So 1 Timothy chapter 6, 17 through 19, the words are also going to be on the screen. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Let's pray. Father, we ask and pray that as we look into your word, that your truth would be revealed to us. Father, that by your Holy Spirit, that truth would be internalized, that we would apply it to our lives. And Father, that today, tomorrow, and every day into the future, we would reflect Jesus to those with whom we come in contact day by day. We thank you and praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. So for me, that scripture is a challenge because it says a couple of things that, frankly, I don't like. The first is it calls me to be generous. And full disclosure, I don't love being generous. I don't love it. Now, my parents are really generous people. They just give and give and give, and I oftentimes look at them and go, what's wrong with you? You know, what are you doing? 
But for me, generosity sometimes, it's hard. It's difficult. The second thing that that passage says is not to trust in our money because it's unreliable. But for me, money is reliable, and it's tangible, and it's something that I can touch. And if I have enough in my savings account, I just feel a little bit better about life. I feel like things are kind of working out like they should. But that's not the call that the Apostle Paul gives to us as believers. Now, I want us to maybe agree on a couple of things before we get started this morning. And the first is that uh, as Americans, we're, we're blessed. We are a blessed people. And uh, I want to talk about that here in a minute, but we have to understand that as a blessed people, we have to um, believe, uh, and, and I'd say this is the starting point for us to believe that what we have as blessed Americans is a gift from God. And I want to unpack that. But hopefully, if you take nothing else away today, you take home this, which is our take-home point. And our take-home point, for those of you who are new, is the one point that we hope that you will take with you when you leave today, and it's this. Trusting God, not wealth, brings ultimate health. Would you say that with me? Trusting God, not wealth, brings ultimate health. So as Americans, we're blessed. And what I mean by that is, practically speaking, uh, we have all the necessities for life right? We have food, shelter, clothing, all those sorts of things. We also have things that probably aren't necessities like Netflix and iPhones, but we really enjoy. We were here a couple of weeks ago for the Arise and Shine event, and if you didn't have an opportunity to attend, I would highly encourage you to attend if we do it next year. And the Arise and Shine event was an opportunity for us to Skype with orphans from Cambodia, and it was just a wonderful experience, and my wife was reflecting on the way home just on our blessed status that we have more oftentimes than what we need. That doesn't mean that we don't struggle and that times aren't hard, but really in the scope of humanity, we are quite blessed. But also, in addition to realizing our blessed status, I believe the second key is to realize that all that we have, all that we've been given, is truly God's anyways. That's the, that's the premise, that's the foundation. And that's a hard thing to, to kind of wrap our minds around, but at the end of the day, all that we have, all that we've been given, is truly a gift from God. We're going to look at a scripture passage again, this time out of Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 through 31. And this is what's known as the creation mandate. The creation mandate basically states that when God was laying the foundations of the earth, as He was ordaining creation, this is the command that He gave to all of humanity. And it reads like this, Genesis 1, 27 through 31. So God created human beings in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth, all the fruit trees for you for food. And I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And this is what happened. Then God looked over all he made, and he saw that it was very good. The key word that I want us to take away from this passage is found in verse 28, and it's govern. Some biblical translations translate that as to rule, but it can also be known as to steward. 
Now, if you're like me, when you hear the word steward, you think of some guy maybe chucking the peanuts on an airline or something. That's not what that means here. What it means is God allows us to partner with Him, to walk alongside Him over every aspect, not only of creation, but all of our lives. And what out, what's outlined in the rest of that passage is God gives us the privilege of working with Him over everything. Everything. Every area of our, life, our, of our lives, there is no aspect of which God does not want to be a part. But we are called to steward that. And what does it look like practically to steward? Let me share a story with you. So when I was 22, uh, I, I started my first job out of college. I was a youth pastor in Chippewa Township in Beaver County. And uh, I had a house that I was hoping to move into, uh, but it wasn't going to be ready until probably August, and my job started in June. Okay? So I had to do a commute every day from Shakora, which is where I now live, but that was also my hometown, to Chippewa Township uh, every day. It's a beautiful commute. I'd recommend you never do it. It's quite a drive. Uh, but uh, so I was commuting back and forth, and really the first week of work there, this is, this is a true story, I was zipping home in my Ford Escort ZX2, right? I love my little Escort ZX2 sport model, not the base model. I was classy, five-speed right? Made me feel like a man, even though it was a little girl's car. Anyway, um, so I've got my ZX2. I love my ZX2. I could just zip around in that, and I took a corner not too far from my parents' home going too fast, took it too sharp, hit a culvert, blew the tire, bent the rim, limped the car home to my, my parents' house, pulled into the driveway, and my dad came down and said, looks like you blew a tire. Thanks, Dad. Caught that. But the next thing my dad said was, was really helpful. He said, hey, you can't miss work. You just started. I know. Uh, so why don't you take my truck? So that's what I did. Next morning, got up early, early for a 22-year-old, noon, uh, and headed into work in my dad's pickup. Now, what you have to understand is my parents owned a small business in Shakora. They owned a produce farm. And so everybody in town kind of knows who my folks are. They also know what cars they drive because, again, small town. So I hopped into my dad's truck, and I didn't get too far out of the driveway before people are waving at me, and I'm realizing, oh my goodness, they, they think I'm my dad. You know, we have a similar build, and uh, I'm in his truck. And it also quickly occurred to me, two things quickly occurred to me, I should say. The first was that if I was going to zip around in my dad's F-150, like I'd been zipping around in my car, people were going to genuinely think my father had gone insane right? Like he'd lost his mind and his ability to drive. The second thing that I quickly realized is if I treat this truck like I treat my car, I'm going to blow all the tires and my dad's just going to murder me when I get home, if I get home. And so what I did is I had to come to a conclusion, to a decision, and I decided at that moment to just slow down because it wasn't my vehicle. It was my dad's. My dad, as my father, had given me something to help out. He'd given me a gift. And it was my responsibility to take that and steward it wisely. God calls us to do the exact same things in every area and in every aspect of, of our lives. Our gifts, talents, abilities, stuff, finances. We have to steward it wisely because it's a gift from God. We have the honor and privilege of taking what God has given us and working alongside Him to bring His kingdom. Now, I know what you're going to say, and it's true that you worked really, really hard for that, or I worked really, really hard for that. And it's true. We usually do work really hard for some things, and sometimes God blesses us. 
Other times we work really, really hard and we're not blessed. And I don't know why that is. I don't have that answer for you today. But I do know that the common thread through the whole thing is that we are a blessed people and that ultimately what we have is God's anyways. So if that's our premise, if that's our starting point, that we're to be generous and that we kind of really have no excuse practically to be generous, what then are some of the barriers between us and the ability for us all to be generous as people of God? I have a couple listed here for you. Uh, But before we get to that, to the real barriers, I actually have some ones that I came up on my own uh, as I kind of look through the sermon. Actually, one in particular. So, I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but um, how how many of you have ever heard, Jesus had no place to lay his head, right? Okay, like four of you. Good. I appreciate that. So, yeah, in the Scripture, it says that Jesus, the Son of Man, had no place to lay his head. And what that implies is that, you know, it's a life by faith. In myself, in my spirit, whenever I read that, I just go, you know, Jesus, two things. One, you only knew you had to make it till like 33, right? I think any of us on our own could probably make it to 33. And Jesus didn't have any kids, right? So, you know, kids, that's a game changer. Uh, You have to start planning for things a little bit, you know, a little bit better, I suppose. But... um, really not a really good excuse for us not to be generous, but one that came to me pretty quickly. But what are some other barriers? What are some practical barriers to our generosity? And I have a couple here listed uh, for us today. First, we're greedy. Now, that's not to say that we grab and grab and grab and grab and grab, but I think that sometimes in the quiet moments, I know especially for me, greed kind of rears its ugly head. And it reminds me of that quote by J.D. Rockefeller when he was asked, how much is enough, to which he replied, just a little bit more, right? I feel that sometimes. As a matter of fact, a couple of weeks ago, I was sitting down doing our family budget because I'm trying to work through some Christmas stuff and just wanted to make sure that I had stuff allocated correctly. And I was looking and I actually out loud at my desk was sitting there and went, gosh, I could use just a little bit more. And at that moment, I kind of dropped my head and whispered, Rockefeller. Because I knew I was being greedy because I have enough. God has blessed us. God has blessed my family. We have a really nice, sweet little minivan that I can zip around in now, you know. I learned how to take that turn, though. No, no danger for the tires. Plus, I have kids, so we've got to slow it down to like 55 and a 45. But anyway... Um, I struggle with the fact that at the end of the day, sometimes I feel like just a little bit more would allow me to just get this much further ahead. And I fight that. I war within myself over those things. Now, there's some of us here today where we do genuinely need just a little bit more. Maybe we're in a a, a hard situation because of an emergency or things like that. And we're going to talk about that here in a little bit. And that's not being greedy, that's being realistic, right? We've all had those moments in our life too, and we're going to mention that here a little bit further on down the line. The second barrier to generosity is that we are unaware. We simply don't realize that God has much to say about money. And uh, just to be honest with you, the Scripture is full of passages about finances. And I would encourage you, as you spend time in God's Word this week and hopefully for the rest of our lives, 
that we would identify those passages and, and, and take them in and, and apply them to our lives because two things are made abundantly clear through Scripture. First, God cares tremendously about our finances, and two, as a result of what He's given, He does call us to be generous. And so, uh, being unaware sometimes uh, is, is a realistic excuse, but if you're here today, not anymore. So, join with, join with me, if you would, as we continue to walk that out. The third barrier to generosity, and this is one that I've heard quite a bit, and that is that the church just wants my money, okay? The church just wants my money. If I had a nickel for every time I heard that, we could build the Children's Nurture Center like tomorrow. Uh, now, understand, if you would, that uh, I haven't been in full-time ministry since the day I walked out of my parents' house. I started out in youth ministry, but for the past several years, I've been in the corporate world. I was the assistant executive director of an agency uh, in Beaver County uh, for folks with intellectual disabilities. That was my job. Uh, and people would come up to me, coworkers, and they would say, didn't you used to work in the church? I'd say, yeah. You know what I don't like about the church? Well, I'm no, but please, share. <laughs> they always wanted my money. And my response to them is my response to all of us today. We don't want your money. We really don't. Uh, we, we, we appreciate the gifts and tithes, but at the end of the day, the reason that we speak about money is because God talked about money, and He wants us to be all on the same page when it comes to money. Uh, talking about money is probably one of the least favorite things that I could do in front of you today. Maybe after this, we'll go in the back and have a light, nice, light conversation about politics or something uh, <laughs> as opposed to money. But um, Pastor Chris actually has made, made it really clear to us as a staff, and I, and I fully agree, that, uh, you know, on a weekly basis, he gets up and he just talks about how it's our duty to be generous and faithful. And you all here at New Life do such a wonderful job of that. One of the most generous churches I've ever been a part of. I want to talk about that here in a little bit, too. Fourth barrier, simply put, uh, we can't manage the 10% biblical tithe. Can't manage 10%. I have a friend, Bill, uh, who I'm going to talk about a little bit later, who is one of the most generous folks that I know. And I asked Bill, basically, where did he learn to be so generous? And he shared a story of his parents. His parents went to church uh, faithfully, and one Sunday they go to church, and the, and, the, and the pastor's talking about tithing. So, you know, the pastor's talking about a 10% tithe, and he actually said something that would profoundly change Bill's parents' lives. He looked across the congregation and said, listen, I realize that some of you can't do 10%. He said, start where you're at. Do what you can. And so, Bill's parents went home, and they started. And 2% became 3%, which became 4%, which became 5%, which became 10 And by the time, time Bill came along, they were just generous people giving 10 10 plus, things like that. Now, if that's you here today, and I've been in this situation where the thought of giving 10% just throws your life into a flux, and you don't know what that means, let me just share something with you. Over the past couple months here at New Life, we've seen about 650 folks come through the door on a weekend. That's adults and kids. So let's say of those 650, let's say 500 are adults that come through on a regular basis. If every adult would give 10 bucks a week between now and this time next year, that's $260,000. That's a hefty chunk of change. Now, I'm not saying that so that you 
and I'm trying to guilt you into giving 10 more dollars. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is, to those of you who have never considered tithing before, or don't know that you can do that, just understand that even a small gift given faithfully over time has dramatic impact, and we're very, very thankful for that, uh, for everybody who gives. The fifth barrier, and if I'm honest, this is the one that I see the most often as I've talked with folks and I've even experienced in my own life, is uh, quite simply, we're broke. We're broke. You can't be generous when you're broke. It's just impossible. And America is one of the few cultures that actively encourages people to spend more than what they make, right? Whether it's through credit cards or easy loans or advertising, what's the famous phrase? To buy stuff you don't need. Uh, Yeah, just buy stuff you don't need with money you don't have to impress people that you don't even like, right? That's kind of like the unofficial national American motto, I think, is for us to buy these sorts of things. And I'll be honest with you, if you continue on a pattern like that, if we all continue on a pattern like that, it's not very long before we enter this sort of debt-debtor death spiral, right, where we don't have enough, so we continue to pay on credit, and it's just a very, very hard thing to get out of. The Bible teaches, quite simply, that we should spend less than what we make. That's truly countercultural. And my parents were really good about teaching me that, but I don't know if you're like anything like I was, but when I got out into the real world, as we always say, it, it didn't always not necessarily translate, right? Like your parents try to give you good Uh, basic foundational teachings for your life. For example, don't ruin your dinner by eating cookies. Good thing, good practice. I, when I got out on my own, would actually actively call my mom and say, ruin dinner tonight, ate an entire box of Oreos, and then I'd hang up the phone (laughs) before she could. Actually, I didn't have a real phone. I had a cell phone. I'd snap it close, boom, put it away. Then I'd see her like three weeks later. Cookies, huh? Yeah. Any good, other good decisions with your life? No. So anyways, um, And so I knew that I needed some practical advice when it came to finance. And so my sister recommended a financial guy who I met with, and it just didn't work out that well. And um, I actually found that finding a good financial consultant or advisor or representative, whatever you want to call them, is kind of like finding a spouse. So I went through a few until I found a guy named Bill Painter. This is the generous Bill that I was just talking about. And what Bill did is he basically taught me how to handle money better than what my parents did. He taught me about budgeting. He taught me about debt and finances and investing and all this other sorts of stuff. And Bill, to his credit, uh, helped me to understand what it meant to be generous. I don't know if any of you are in this situation, but when I graduated from college, I had a tremendous amount of debt, right? Didn't know how I was going to tackle this mountain. And so, uh, I try to pay off my debt, I'm trying to pay my bills, I'm trying to be generous, I'm trying to maybe go out a little bit and all these sorts of things. And at the end of the day, it seemed like at the end of each month, I just was missing the mark somewhere. Something wasn't working. And so when Bill came into my life, he gave me a map and accountability, which was huge, and he really helped me to hone that in. And I'm telling you, this year, that student debt is gone. I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah, thanks. Um, we're going to do it. We're going to have a big party. We'll invite a couple of you because I don't have that. So anyway, um, Bill provided the map, and it was helpful. And guys, if I'm honest, as I continue to help folks with their finances, I just understand that we have no idea sometimes how to manage our money. 
And that's a shame, but it's the truth. And when you continue to become encumbered by debt, as I have been in my life, King Solomon says uh, in the book of Proverbs, he's the wisest guy before Jesus, the, the lender, or excuse me, the borrower becomes a slave to the lender. When you're a slave, you can't be generous. So what are the practical steps then for us to get on to what I call the path of financial health and generosity? How do we do that? Some really practical bits. I don't have a, time, a ton of time to go into this today, but um, we're going to talk about some resources. But here's some things that, uh, that I've seen and observed and that have been helpful to me. First, budget. If you don't know where your money's flowing, you have no idea where your money's going. That's my own little phrase. You can put that on your refrigerator if you'd like. But if you don't know where your money's flowing, you have no idea where your money is going. Get a budget. The internet is full of wonderful little uh, budgeting tools. If you don't like the term budget, Pastor Chris hates budgets. He calls them spending plans, right? Spending plans? Uh, which is actually the focus on the positive. So if you'd like that, spend away within your spending plan. The second thing is, once you have your budget down, you have to, um, in essence, correct your spending, right? If you're spending more than you're making, financial guru Dave Ramsey says, you're spending more than you're making, you have two options, spend less or make more. That's it. Or you can try to correct your spending. And so for me, in my life, that correction came in the form of cable television. And what a sad day it was in the Liker household when we cut the cord. <laughs> but anyway, my wife, who's way smarter than I am, kept saying, we don't need cable, we don't need cable, we don't. And I see, I see you looking at each other, knowing glances. To which I said, you leave my American pickers out of this. What, have, what has Frank done to you? And we cut the cord. Now I go to my parents' house and watch American pickers. That was, for us, it had to go. It just had to go. There was no room, and so we had to correct our spending. Third, cash reserve. You have to have a little bit of money on hand for the event of an emergency. Again, Solomon is very helpful in this. He says in Proverbs 21, in the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all that he has. We can't be foolish with our finances. Fourthly, uh, eliminate debt as fast as you can. Try to get out of the death spiral of debt. It's hard, but I believe it can be done. Wouldn't it be amazing to have a church full of folks who weren't just terribly in debt? My gosh, that's my hope for me, and that's my hope for so many of us, that we can get out of debt. If you want some additional resources, Google debt snowballing, debt stacking, gives you some practical tips on how to get there. Fifth, seek out professional resources and advice. If I could give you one practical bit of advice from working with literally dozens if not hundreds of people advising them on their finances, it would be this. Don't ask your friends. They don't know either. But there are wonderful books. We have some back in our kiosk that can be very helpful to you. Books can be very, very helpful. Internet, again, great for templates and stuff. Advice on there can be great or awful, so, so tread very carefully. I know that from time to time here at New Life, they have offered classes like Financial Peace, and I was broke, but now I'm not. And I know that our plan is in the future to continue to do that. Take advantage of those resources when they come along. They can be very, very helpful. And lastly, if you have the opportunity to find a good financial advisor or rep or whatever, do it. They can be wonderful or not. I had to go through a few before I found Bill Painter, but he literally changed my life and was very, very helpful in that regard. 
Leslie and I have been working with Bill now for about six or seven years, and what I can tell you from my experience in working with him is this. Money is no longer my God. Uh, it was, but it's no longer my God, because now I know where our money is supposed to go. Do we do it perfectly? Absolutely not. Do we mess things up? Sure we do. Do we have months where we struggle? Yeah, I had twin boys twice, you know, two kids, one time, huge medical bill, went, oh my gosh, how are we going to pay for this? We paid for it, thank God. But that's been our experience. Now that we have gotten to a point of a little bit better financial health, we're able to be generous. And that's really been one of the most rewarding things to us. Um, I encourage you, I would encourage you highly to, uh, to seek out some professional wisdom and some advice to try to get on the road to financial health. Now, as we've talked about this today, we've talked about the other side of financial health, which is sometimes there are emergencies, sometimes things happen. Sometimes because of our choices or things that are outside of our control, money becomes a real issue. Maybe we can't pay the bills. Maybe, maybe there isn't food. And we take that very seriously here at New Life. Uh, we have the Greatest Needs program. Pastor Jane, Karen do a wonderful job with that. Our resources are not unlimited, but we do have the opportunity to help if need be. And if that's you here today, I would encourage you to seek them out uh, and allow them to begin to assist you in whatever way that they can. I know that sometimes when we're in financial duress, God provides miraculously. Sometimes he does not. But we want to try as best we can as a church to come alongside folks uh, as much as is possible. So the results. What can we expect practically to happen if we live out the commitment for today, which will be on the screen, which states, I will invest in God's kingdom and enjoy true life this week. Would you say that with me? I will invest in God's kingdom and enjoy true life this week. Listen, I'm just going to close with this. New Life is by far the most generous church I've ever been a part of. And I don't say that lightly. That's the truth. The most generous church that I've ever been a part of. And it's because of your generosity that we've been able to do so many of the things that we've been able to do. But we have plans. We have vision. I firmly believe after almost a year here that New Life is going to impact thousands of people in this area. I believe that. I believe that in the next several years, New Life is going to plant churches in the western Pennsylvania area that will impact thousands, if not tens of thousands of people. We want to do that. I believe we will do that. I believe that New Life in the not-too-distant future will have an international presence that will impact tens of thousands of people. And what's the result of that? Hell will not be crowded because of the work of Jesus through New Life. And so, oh, well, thanks. That's nice. And so I say to you today that we have vision for what God is going to do through this church. But we do need resources to make that happen. We need resources to make that happen. And we will move forward on the generosity of all of us, which is the truth. We move forward on the generosity of all of us. I hope and pray that the generosity of new life will continue to be a hallmark of what we're known for because it's an amazing thing. It is an unbelievable breath of fresh air for me to come on staff to a place that has such an environment, and I thank you all so much for that. But I want to close with this, and that is just to thank you for joining us as we continue to invest in God's kingdom. And it's my hope and prayer that we all enjoy the life that is truly life.
this week. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for what you've done and what you'll continue to do here at New Life. Father, I ask and pray that you would lead and guide us faithfully in all areas of our life, whether it's rest, relationships, prayer, study, work, or finances. Father, I just ask and pray that we would be faithful to steward that which you have given us and that we would be generous. Thank you and praise you. Amen.